Welcome. Uh, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And um, we're in a sermon series going through the book of Acts together. And so we're in Acts 22. So if you want to grab your Bible, your, your phone, whatever you have the Word of God on, and uh, we're going to get into it this morning. Um, last week we talked about how, how Paul was compelled, that word, that word compelled to go to Jerusalem. And um, even though all of his friends were telling him, like, dude, you shouldn't go. Like, there's hardship, prison. I got, I got a word from the Lord, hardship, prison, await you there. He, he was compelled to go anyway and uh, to do hard things. And so he finally, we're going to pick up here in 22, Acts 22, he finally arrives in Jerusalem. And the Christians there receive him warmly. They're all like, you know, uh, he, he, he meets with the elders. He tells them about all the cool things that God's been doing with his ministry to the Gentiles. By the way, if, you, if you're not sure what the word Gentile means, it just means non-Jew. Um, the Jewish people saw it very black and white. There were the Jews, and then there was everybody else. And so when we say the word Gentile, it just means non-Jew. It means everybody else that wasn't a Jew. They were considered Gentiles. And so Paul was out ministering and preaching the gospel to people who were not Jews. And so everyone's excited. They're all praising God. They're like, this is awesome. And, but they do have some concerns. Um, there are some Christian Jews in Jerusalem that were uh, furious with Paul. They were, they were concerned at some of the things that they'd been hearing about what he was preaching to those Jewish people, or to those Gentile people, those other people. Um, they felt like he was rejecting his Jewish heritage in order to minister to the Gentiles. Um, especially, like if you think of this, like if you're a Jew living in Jerusalem and um, you, you become a Christian, like you're kind of the ultimate insider. You're, you're part of the club. And these people, they were born, they were raised to, do, to be Jews. They had been taught from a very early age to obey all of the laws, the, the ritual laws, the moral laws. And now thousands of them have come to faith in Jesus in, in Jerusalem. And um, this, is, this is great. And they, they believe that Jesus is their Messiah, but they're still obeying all of the laws and the ritual laws, the, the moral laws, obviously, that they had been raised with, and they're still very much Jewish, even though they're, they're, they're believers now in the, in the Messiah. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're kind of like they have these two things that, that work perfectly together. They're Jews, and now they're Messianic Jews. Um, they believe in Jesus. What they're concerned about is Paul, because he's out there like, gallivanting, preaching to God knows who, God knows where, this, this gospel that, that they believe is for the Jewish people, that their, their Messiah has come. And so he's preaching to these Gentiles that they do not need to necessarily follow all of the ritual laws. They don't need to get circumcised in order to be saved by Jesus. Um, this infuriated the Christian Jews in Jerusalem because they believe that, that, that essentially the Gentiles... Um, needed to become Jews in order to become Christians. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like they have, to, they have to almost kind of like get into the club of being Jewish in order to be saved. So in their minds, Paul is a heretic. They're, they're very upset. They're like, you, you've given up on your Jewish heritage. You've given up on the law. You've given up on all of these things that you, that you know are true, that you've been raised on in order to minister to these people, these other people, these, these non-chosen people, right? Like, and and you're, you're a heretic. And so he comes into Jerusalem. 
the, the Christian, like the leaders are like behind him. They're like, this is good, this is awesome. But, but there's a whole lot of people who don't like him. And so they catch a glimpse of him in, in the temple and a riot breaks out. I'm talking like they, they're berating him. They, they literally start beating him to death. They're, they're trying to kill him. And uh, for, for Paul, I'm sure, in all of his travels, he's like, well, this is just like Tuesday, right? Like, this is just normal. Like, again, yet again, I'm getting beat up by Gentiles, and now my own people are, are, are literally beating me up. Meanwhile, as the riot's going on, all of these people, throngs of people, this mob, angry, vicious mob, are just beating on him. The commander of the Roman army hears about this. They're like, dude, you got to go take care of this because there's a, there's a huge, angry mob beating up a random guy. I don't even know what's going on. So they come in. They bring in all these soldiers in. They rescue, literally rescue Paul's life, have to carry him away. He literally is so beaten up so badly that he, can, he, can, he can't even walk on his own. And I want you to just picture this, because Paul, literally being carried by soldiers to prison, they don't even know what's going on, he turns, bloodied, beaten, and asks one of the soldiers one of the most preposterous questions. He's like, can I talk to the people? Can I talk to, like, who, I don't know who does this, who wants to, like, speak to these people who were just trying to murder him, but he's like, can I, can I, can I talk, can I speak to the crowd? And so I don't even know how, to this point, it's kind of even weird if you can read it in, like, Acts chapter um, 21, like, how he gets the mic, but he gets the mic. I don't even know how this works out, but he gets the mic, he musters to his feet on his own two feet, bloody, beaten, badly, just berated, and all these types of things. He, he gets up in front of this angry crowd that was just trying to kill him, would rather kill him than accept him, and he motions, it literally says this, he motions to the crowd, and the crowd is silenced. And what we're about to read here in Acts 22 is the speech that he gives to this crowd of people that were just trying to murder him. Why don't you stand with me as we read together? Acts 22, starting in verse 1. He says, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. They're already quiet, but now they're very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. That's another word for Christians. To their death, arresting both men and even women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And then about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. 
he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem, he was praying at the temple. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Lord, I, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you continually minister to us through the life of this guy, Paul. Uh, his words, his letters live on in our lives, instructing us how to live this life that we call Christianity. As we're Christ followers of you, may we learn from him even today of what it looks like to minister, to give away that which we've been given. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thanks. So this is like kind of, I mean, this is very drama-filled, right? Like, I mean, Paul is preaching bloodied, beaten, battered, almost half dead to his people, his, his very own people. So it's very, um, it's very heartfelt. And it starts out in verse 1, and he says this, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I was like, um, that's a weird way to kick off. Um, like, is that a normal intro? I literally was like, brothers and fathers? Like, I've never heard that before. But then I, I thought, like, maybe I have heard that before. So, like, a normal pastor, I'm like, I'm going to look it up. So I started, like, I think I actually used Google. I was like, is brothers and fathers, like, a normal, like, intro to a, uh, a speech? Here's the interesting thing that I found. This is so cool. The only other speech recorded in the Bible that begins this way is found in Acts chapter 7. Do you know who started that speech? Stephen. The very first recorded Christian martyr. You may remember that he was stoned in Acts chapter 7. And it was at that stoning that there was a very young man named Saul of Tarsus, later to be called the Apostle Paul, who listened to Stephen's speech and then held the coats for all of his murderers to throw better. And now some 25 years later, Stephen's last speech must have been rolling around in him. (laughs) And now he faces a very similar angry mob in the exact same place that Stephen was. And that's so, it's so, I mean, I just love how God just like brings these things together. And he starts out, he's like, brothers and fathers. And he continues. The crowd becomes really quiet. And he starts relating to his audience in verse 3. He says, I am a Jew 
He's talking to the Jews. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this very city. I studied under Gamaliel, uh, was thoroughly trained for the law of our ancestors. He's like, in other words, I'm not just a Jew. I'm like a super Jew, okay? Like, I, I studied under Gamaliel. He's like the uppity up. He's like, you all know him. He's the rabbi of rabbis. Like, I know the law probably better than most of you do. And then he goes on. He says, I, I was just as zealous for God as you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way, right? This of Christians to their death, arresting both men and even women and throwing them into prison. Are you catching what he's doing here? Like he's, he's speaking to this crowd that literally just was trying to murder him right down here. And he's standing up there speaking to them, preaching to them. And he's relating to them first and foremost. Like, hey, y'all think that you're, you're zealous for God? I, I, I'm, I'm just as zealous as you are. You all think, remember when you just tried to kill me right down here like five minutes ago? Remember that? When you guys were all like beating me, kicking me, trying to kill me? I used to kill people like me. In other words, he's like, um, we're like twins, right? <laughs> Essentially, like, um, I know where you're coming from because I used to be you. And as incredibly awkward as this statement is, it's incredibly awkward as he's trying to relate to people based upon like, I used to kill people like me too, right? We're like on the same page here. What he's doing here is so awesome because essentially what he knows, he knows this secret that like we are called to minister to people where they're at, not where we're at. And so even as he can barely stand on his own two feet, he's bloodied, battered, beaten, speaking to the very same people that just tried to kill him, he's relating to them based on where they're at, not based on where he's at. And it's this constant, like I pray that every single one of us would have a constant memory of what God has saved us from. May you constantly have this, have this awareness, this grace for people that are still stuck in the sin that, that God took you out of. I watch so many Christians that like have zero, zero, um, zero grace for people that are stuck in the sin that God just took them out of, what, two years ago. We're like, ah, you should get over that. Well, well what did it take for you? May you live in that constant place of grace and not sit in judgment of those who haven't experienced the level of love, the, the life-changing love of God that you've experienced in your life, because it is truly the only thing that changes us. And Paul is speaking to these people, these, he's bloody, beaten up, and barely able to stand. Man deliberately chooses to relate to these people that would rather kill him than accept him. And then, and then he starts telling them about why he's different and who changed him, who made him different by telling them his story. Leonard Ravenhill was quoted as saying, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Let me say that again. I think it's so true. A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. So he just starts telling his story. He says this in verse six. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say, to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul is essentially telling this angry crowd, the greatest day of my life was when I realized I was wrong. <laughs> Think about that. The greatest day, the, the most life-changing, transformational day in my life was when I realized 
that I was wrong. I thought that I was doing everything right, just like you guys. I thought that I was, I, was, I was standing up for what was right. I was standing up for the law. I was persecuting these Christians that were following the way. I was literally arresting both men and women and dragging them off to prison. I was even responsible and even advocating for their death, and then I met Jesus. So unexpectedly. I was on my way to Damascus to do more harm to the kingdom of God, and I didn't realize it, but the greatest day in my life was when I realized that I was wrong. Do you realize that the first step of coming to faith in Jesus is something that we call repentance? It's not a word that we like to use often. In fact, most churches don't even like to mention the word. Repentance. Essentially, repentance is the act of realizing I am wrong. And God, you're right. If you think of it, it's the act of just coming to the place of like, I'm, I'm wrong. It's one of the greatest hurdles of people coming to faith in Jesus. I'll tell you that. I don't think that many people have much of a problem with believing that Jesus was real. You'll meet people that all over the place that don't come to church and really kind of have the, no real like attachment to Jesus, but they believe that he was real, that there was a real God. Maybe even they even give mental assent that he was the son of God, but, but it's this repentance. That's the, that's the greatest hurdle. Why? Because we don't like to be wrong. Do we? We get offended that somebody would actually accuse us of something so heinous, of being wrong. We, we, we've gone, like, just think of our, of our current culture right now. We go through such mental gymnastics just to prove the point that we're not wrong. We've created a culture where nobody can ever be wrong. If you think of it, literally, we've created this kind of safe culture where nobody is ever wrong. And we go through such mental gymnastics almost to the point of absolute intellectual idiocy so as not to insinuate that anyone is ever wrong. Even apart from scientific or, or even common sense. And yet Paul would say this, the greatest day of my life was when I realized I was wrong. How was he wrong? He was wrong because he thought that he had figured out the way to become right with God. He thought, well, I need to be a good person. I need to be, I need to, I need to be a good person. I need to do enough good things. I need to make sure that I follow and check off all of, the, all of the things and keep all the rules and go to church. And what he found was this. When he encountered Jesus Christ, is the, right, the way to become right with God is to finally admit that I'm wrong. And I don't see anybody waving their hankies about that. But isn't it the reality that we have to come to the place where Jesus, you are the only one who's right. You are the one who has the words of eternal life. And I have a whole lot of opinions, but they really don't matter in the light of you. And so I submit my will to your will, God. I am wrong. And you are right. And he goes on, he says in verse 9, this is the interesting thing. He says, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him 
who was speaking to me. Catch this. Like, I know we talked about this way back in like, it was like Acts chapter 2 or 3, whatever, when, when, that, when this happened to, to Paul the first time we see this account, but like he gets struck with this bright light, falls off, hears the voice of God speaking to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And all of the people that are with him, all of his entourage, they hear noises, but they don't necessarily understand what, what just happened. And it reminds me of this time in John chapter 12 where Jesus is praying to his father and all of a sudden the heavens open and the voice from heaven comes down and speaks, and you could read it on your own in John chapter 12, it literally says this, the crowd that was there heard it and said, must be thunder. Isn't that interesting? The heavens literally open up. The audible voice of God comes down and speaks to a crowd of people, and some of the people in the crowd are like, crazy weather we're having, huh, Mildred? What? which makes me realize that you can come to church, which makes me realize that you can be around the presence of God. You can hang out with, with Christians, right? Like you can be in the same worship service right next to somebody who's worshiping their face off. Heck, the, the heavens can open up and God can audibly speak to a crowd of people and you could still not encounter him personally. That's what blows my mind. See, Paul's companions have like this supernatural experience. They're like, oh, crazy weather, huh? Was it thunder? My goodness. But Paul has a salvation experience. What was the difference? He encountered God personally. Many people have supernatural experiences, but you only have salvation experiences when you encounter God personally. Why? Because one word from God will change your life. One word from God that gets in here changes your life life. And the question that for every single one of us are, are you seeking God in such a way that if he spoke, you would hear it? Are you even attentive, listening, preparing for the word of God in your own life? That's the, I think that's the, the, the craziness of, the, of this crowd thing of how some people are hearing the word of God, some people aren't, some people are wondering, I think that must have been thunder. Would you recognize it? And then it goes on in verse 12. He says, uh, a man named Ananias came to see me. So he's blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. He was, de- he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. Verse 13. He stood by- beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. They said, like, like scales fell off of his eyes. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. There is this theme that runs all throughout the book of Acts. We're all the way in Acts chapter 22 and we see it time and time again from the descent of the Holy Spirit on. And it is this, God uses people to minister to people. So often we want the presence of God, but just take the people out of it. I love God. I just can't stand Christians, right? Like, I, 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 I mean, I love coming to church, but my gosh, as soon as the people come in, it just ruins everything, right? We would have a perfect church if it weren't for all these people in here, right? If it's just you and me, or maybe just you, or maybe just me, then we would be fine. We have no, no relational discord. Everything would be awesome. 
And so we wait for God. We're like, God, I wish, I just want a vision. I want, I want a word of prophecy. I want you to open the heavens. Just speak to me and not all these yahoos because they don't understand. They're going to think it's thunder. I'll hear you, Jesus. And we want, to he- we want God to just speak to us in a vision, in a dream, whatever that looks like. And what I find time and time and time again is that God chooses to use people to minister to people. And sometimes it's messy. God uses Ananias to to pray, to bring vision, to bring healing, to bring direction to Paul. He could have just spoken all of that to Paul when he knocked him off of his high emu and just said like, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And just said, this is all the things I want you to do and you need to go here and then go to Damascus and then I'm going to send you here and then you're going to go do this. And he could have just said all that, but no, he just decides to go to Damascus. I'm going to send some person to minister the rest of it. But I was kind of hoping that I didn't have to involve people into this. But God sends Ananias. And even 25 years ago, God sent Stephen and his sermon and even his killing that he just couldn't shake it. Can I tell you, even when you're ministering and you think, man, I don't even know if this is making a difference. Well, I mean, what in the world? I mean, I, even, even Stephen, his last sermon, then it ends with him getting literally stoned to death. And you think, like, what in the world did that different? I'm just telling you, 25 years later, that same little boy that was holding on to the coats and watching and advocating for the death of Stephen, 25 years later, is preaching his sermon. It matters. It matters. Nothing comes back void in the kingdom of God. When you plant seed, I want you to know that it does not come back void. Either you believe that or you don't, which means that sometimes you plant a seed and you're like, well, I just never took and never went anywhere and I don't even know. I think I'm just wasting my breath. I think I'm just wasting my prayers. I, I, I just saw this and it never came to fruition. It didn't. 25 years later, it's still rolling around and a man who changed the world So when you think it doesn't matter, it does. And you never know. You never know the words, the prayers, and how they're going to change someone's life. So God desires to to use you. I just want you to know that. He desires you. Look, God did not save you so that you could come and insulate yourself in a church. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. You have been given the gift of salvation. You've been given the gift of the word of God, not so that you can hoard it for yourself. It is not a blessing that you get to, you get to just kind of keep and keep it in your inner pocket and use only for yourself. You are meant to bless others through the gift that's been given to you. I've got a, I'm going to show you guys a video. I'm, I'll prep it really quick. There's this, um, you guys ever heard of Penn and Teller? Okay, there's like, they're like these magicians. I think they got a show on, on TV now where like they have magicians come up and try to like fake them out and see if they can figure out how they did the trick. Um, Penn is an avowed atheist. And uh, a few years back, he did this quick little like YouTube video about, um, it, well, it's really interesting, his take on proselytizing, his take on people sharing their faith with him. Go ahead and play it. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been home from the show, and at the end of the show, uh, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, 
we talk to folks and you know, sign the casual autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize 
and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Isn't it interesting to hear from an avowed atheist um, about proselytizing, right? Like, I mean, he's just like, how, how, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? And it's funny, I, was, I walked in here today, and on that back table, that little white table, there was a legit Gideon New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs. I, I looked down at my wife, I was like, I just, I don't know why I took it off the table, but it's, it was right down here, can I, can I grab this? It was probably this exact same little Bible with a little note in it that uh, that, that man gave him. It's interesting because I, I think it's important for us to always realize that God wants to use you. And we can pray, and we should, and we, you know, we can... We can come to churches and we can do all those things, but at the end of the day, he's called you to a world of Gentiles, of people who don't know the word, and how will they know if we don't tell? How, how will they know if we don't share? And I think the cool thing is, and what I love about this testimony here of an, of an atheist, right, is that you don't have to be weird to do it. Sometimes we think, like, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be that guy. And I love how the guy even had to preface it with, like, I'm not crazy. I'm normal, right? But, but this is important to me, and I, and, and, and I love you, and I, I believe God does too. God wants to use you to love people enough and maybe not hate them enough to share God's love with them, whatever that looks like. Amen? Hmm, sobering. Um, and then, so in verse 16, let's continue. He says, um, he says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Speaking of baptism, we're having a baptism next week or in two weeks. Um, if you have not been baptized and you'd like to, there's still time. So uh, see Pastor Tom and, uh, and let us know. I think um, it is the first step of obedience in, in the Christian life. If you keep verse 16 up there for a second, it's interesting what it says, and this has been something that people have, uh, have struggled with over the years. It says, and now what are you waiting for? And then he says, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And if you read it, you're kind of like, is it saying there that, like, be baptized and wash away your sins? And in other words, like, like the waters of baptism wash away your sins? That like something special happens, and if you, if you don't get water baptized, then, then you're not saved. That like you have to get baptized in water, like the special water, the holy water, or um, you're not saved. You don't, your sins are not washed away. It's interesting how it is even written there and, and kind of almost sounds like that. It's really kind of two clauses, though. I mean, it really essentially says, get up and be baptized. In other words, um, get up and do something. And the first thing, if you're wondering what I should do, get baptized. Get up and be baptized, and then and wash away your sins. How? By calling on his name. So how are we saved? Through water baptism? No. 
We're saved by calling on his name. That's how we're saved. We're not, we, the, the waters of baptism, there's no magic ritual that happens where all of a sudden you get saved through the waters of baptism. No, we're supposed to get up and do something. The first thing we should do is get baptized, but we're saved through calling on his name. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's baptism? It's a testimony. You're going to hear it, you're going to hear it in, in two weeks, right? It's, it's the way of preaching a wordless sermon that communicates to friends, family, heaven, and hell of your new life in God. It's the first time that you testify to others. That's, that, that's what baptism is. Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins by calling on the name of the Lord. And he continues in verse 17. He says, when I returned to Jerusalem and, and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. He all of a sudden had like an open vision and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. This is the only place where Paul actually mentions that this vision in the Bible. He talks about leaving Jerusalem, but he, this is the only time as he, he's talked about this specific instance, his salvation experience many times, and this is the only time that he, he talks about this vision that, where Jesus himself instructs him to leave Jerusalem. And what I love about it is that when Jesus himself shows up in a vision and says, quick, leave Jerusalem because these people will not accept your testimony, he starts arguing with Jesus. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, Lord, I replied, these people know that, that, that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of, of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. In other words, um, Jesus, like, I'm the perfect guy. I'm like them. They know me. I understand them. Like, this is a really, I'm the perfect guy to minister to these people. Have you ever felt like Jesus just needed to hear you out? Like, if he just listened to you and, like, you've got a really good argument, I don't think he's thought things through really well. Like, I, I feel like Jesus does some things that are pretty haphazard. And if he, just, if he just listened to you, then he would be like, oh, never even thought of that. Wow, so glad I listened, right? And sometimes we just think, like, man, I, if Jesus would just listen. I mean, Jesus could show up literally in an open vision, give us direct instructions. We're like, um, it's got a question about that. I don't think you're really seeing things clearly. And apparently, Jesus doesn't even care what, what Paul says because we see him say in verse 21, the Lord said to me, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. He just says, yeah, I understand you got a whole lot of reasons, you got a whole lot of opinions, um, but here's the thing, your opinion does not dictate my will. He says, go. Have you ever had God just tell you, go? Well, where am I supposed to go? Far away. That's literally what he tells them. Go far away. Well, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Take me with you wherever you go? To who? Gentiles. Everyone. That's non-Jew, right? Like everybody. People who are far away from me. One of our core values here at New Life is that we will do anything short of sin to reach those who don't know Jesus. And sometimes we get into that and we hear that and we're like, does that mean I got to go to like Africa? Does that mean I got to like go like sell everything I own and go move to the Middle East or something? No, how many of you know that, that you don't have to travel far to find people who are far from God? Sometimes we get in our head, we got to go to Africa. We got to go, go here to find people who are far from God. Let me just tell you, you do not have to travel far to find people who are far from God. Some of them you work with, you, you are in your, your family, your friend group, like 
These are people who, I think God just sometimes just says, go there. Go where? There. Home? Mm-hmm. Family? Yeah. Work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go. I'm sending you to people, not necessarily who are far in distance, but are far from me. I'm sending you to go to people. And you may think, man, you made no difference. You just, you gave, you gave pen and teller a Bible. And that was so silly. God told you to do it. And you're like, I don't know. He's going to think I'm crazy. And he did it. And like it or not, that guy had to wrestle with it. Maybe, maybe he never comes. Maybe 25 years later, just like Paul standing at Stephen's killing, it's still rolling around in him. Amen? Because it matters. Every word of God matters. Nothing comes back void. Why don't you stand with me? So verse 22, things go crazy. Says the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And they raised their voices and shouted. Guess, look at how it turns. It says they, they're literally yelling to this man, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. And if I read this and you read down through the rest of it, like, it's like this escalated rather quickly. So what was it? Like, they're hanging on every word. He motions to the crowd. They're silent. He speaks to them in Aramaic. They're like, tell me more. He tells about his whole thing. They're okay with him talking about Jesus and all of these things. And then you can read on in, in chapter 22. These people start, like, literally coming unhinged. They start disrobing, and they're throwing dirt in the air. Like, it is, a, it is mayhem. It is crazy. What was it that set them off, though? When it says they were listening to him up until he said this, what was it that he said? It was one word, Gentiles. That was the kicker. That was the kicker. Because, see, the Jews were okay with Jesus, the Messiah, dying for them. Good people. Good people. God's chosen people. Like, of course, the Messiah is here for the Jews, right? Like, he is a Jewish Messiah, but what threw them into an enraged hissy fit was the thought that Jesus also died for Gentiles, outsiders, bad people, others, God's unchosen people, outsiders. This is what they just could not stomach. And it's this reality. And I think we struggle with the same thing in churches, right? Because once you become an insider, it is very, very difficult to invite outsiders. See, the Jews believed that, like, th this was only offered to the Jewish people. Like, or at least a Gentile person had to first become a Jew, become an insider, before they could receive the saving grace of Jesus, their Messiah. I mean, after all, the Jews were like, they had rituals and dietary restrictions and membership initiations and, and, and um, circumcisions to cut and contracts to sign and all of these things in order to become an insider. And so what they couldn't stand for are these Gentiles, these other people, these outsiders considered their equals, 
you're telling me like the, them? The people that aren't here on Sunday morning at the 8.30 service? Yeah, you know it. You got up early to come to church. You're telling me those people that aren't even planning on coming to church, even the 10.15 service, those people? The drug addicts? The, like, you're, you're telling me that, 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 that I'm on the same, I'm considered their equals? I, I can come to God the same way and they can come to God the same way that I do? And this is what the Jews could not stomach in that moment. That Gentiles could come the same way that they do by repenting and calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul is telling the Jews, and I think he's reminding us as we read this all these years later, that God's love does not have the same limitations that we place on it. It just doesn't. As much as we like to create our cloistered club, in Christ there are no insiders and outsiders. He levels the playing field and died for all. And he is continually calling us to love others outside of our circle, even when it's difficult. Do you know why Luke, the writer of Acts, probably makes a big deal out of this? Because he's a Gentile. He's an outsider. In fact, Luke is the only Gentile to write any of the Bible. And he wrote Luke and Acts, the only outsider to have a place at the table. <laughs> he is one of those outsiders, those Gentiles that found unexpected freedom and forgiveness through a Jewish Messiah. And so can you. And I just want to encourage you today. Maybe, you, maybe you're in this place. I don't know where you're at in your faith today. Like, Maybe you think, well, I, you, I'm just not, I'm not good enough. I wasn't raised on this stuff. I, 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 don't, I don't do this church thing. Good news, good news. That is not a prerequisite for salvation. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, my best day in my life was the day I realized that I was wrong. The best day in your life is the day you realize God is right. And so the recognition of our wrongness is the way that God puts us right with him. And it seems so counterintuitive. Repent and believe. I'm wrong and you're right. And it's in the midst of that that we find salvation. So I want to pray. And maybe, maybe for, for some of you in here, one of you in here, you're in a place of like, I've never come to the place of repenting and believing in Christ for myself. I've been around church, I've been around people. I've even had supernatural experiences, but I've never, I've never experienced God personally for myself. I just want you to know it's available for you today. He is not far. He's near. And if you're brokenhearted today, good news, he's near to the brokenhearted. He is right there. And so maybe you pray this for the first time in, in, in your life, just coming to this place of like receiving Jesus into your life. And there's nothing magical about it, but I'm telling you, there's only, there's, he spells out the way to come to him. And the first thing is we repent. And so Jesus, I repent. 
And maybe you just spell that out to him today. Jesus, I repent. I'm wrong. I am wrong. I've done things. I've tried to earn it on my own. I've tried to be good enough. And I realize that I, I've screwed this thing up. And I ask for your forgiveness in that. I repent for my sin, of which there are many. And Lord, I receive you. I believe that you are, that you came, that you are the Son of God, born of a virgin, that you came and died a sinner's death for me and rose again from the dead on the third day. I believe that you're right. And I receive, and I, and I lay down, I surrender my will and my opinions to you, and I say, God, I, I receive you. You are right. So, Lord, I, I pray right now that those that prayed this prayer maybe for the first time, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit from the top of their head to the tip of their toes. Lord, I, I pray that, that there would just be a knowing in their knower of the decision that they've made today to walk in your grace. Lord, we thank you that you don't want us to just have supernatural experiences, but that you want us to have salvation experience. And the only way that comes is to personally encountering you. So I pray you'd personally encounter each and every single person today. I pray that you would become real in them. And as they walk out and go far, God, I pray that they would take you with them as they go out to lunch, as they go out to breakfast, as they go out to, to parent, as they go out to work. I pray that they would take you everywhere they go. I pray that some of them would get something on the inside of them to realize that when we speak the word of God to people that we love, that none of it comes back void. And so, Lord, Put, put a burden on the inside of us for our family. Put a burden on the inside of us for our friends. Put a burden on the inside of us for our coworkers. Put a burden on the inside of us for our neighbors. Put a burden on the inside of us for people that are far from you. May we risk looking a little bit silly so that we can see some of these people in eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've placed in each and every single one of our lives, that we don't have to wait for a calling. You've called us to do something. You've called us to do something. May we respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.